0: Um, We are in a new series. We're part of a larger series, actually, of Acts, and in the middle of the Acts series, we're doing these little mini-series. So this week, it's going to be Acts 15, I should say this month, Acts 15 through 18, and we're calling it Are You a Super Fan? You got this card that's inside of your bulletin today, and this Are You a Super Fan? In extreme admiration for a person or thing is what that would be described as. And so, When we were looking at this, we were saying, it happens to be Super Bowl. Let's talk about the super fans of sports and the football throw and the jerseys. All of that is part of that. Today, I'm wearing Trent Dilfer's jersey when he was part of the um, Seahawks. I don't know if you know this, but Trent Dilfer was the quarterback for the Fresno State Bulldogs who I'm a big fan of, when they actually went and beat USC in a bowl game. So we were all really proud. I see your USC jersey over there. Sorry. Uh, it, was, uh, it was a great game, though. <laughs> really great game. I think it was called the Patriot Bowl. Do you remember that? Or does that hurt? A little hurt inside? Okay. <laughs> then later, he won the Super Bowl with the Baltimore Ravens. And then um, I actually saw him at church. He went to my church in Fresno. And... Um, I asked him, I go, so what's next? Because they were already talking about trading him. And he said, well, we're, we're in talks with Seattle. And so I felt like I was kind of on the inside because I knew before everybody where he was going next. Uh, we're real close. We're real tight. <laughs> Not really. But he ended up going to Seattle. He was there for four years. And then he was traded around as a backup. Now he's an ESPN analyst. But he spoke at our church uh, after they won the Super Bowl with the Ravens. over the Giants, and he talked about uh, the Super Bowl, obviously, but he also talked about his son, his five-year-old son, Trenton, who lost a 40-day battle with heart disease, and it was a, a heartbreaking sermon, but it really made me a huge fan of him because he was highest of high moments in the world that we would call one of the highest, you know, winning the Super Bowl, to lowest of low moments, your son, five years old, passing away, and he's been steady following Jesus Christ in the highs and lows all the way through. I'm a super fan because I see that and go, that's incredible. That's awesome. It's good to see men like that. So when we talk about super fans, it's when you have this admiration. This uh, It can be extreme obsession. I don't have an obsession over them, but... (laughs) It can be an extreme obsession over something. In sports world, we see it all the time. When I look at the Bible, and I look particularly at Acts 15, I see Paul as this type of superfan. Highest of highs, there's moments when cities are, like, worshiping him because of what he's bringing, which he has to stop. And then the lowest of lows, where they're literally picking up rocks and throwing it at him. He stays steady. He stays in love with God, continuing to show this passion and admiration to the God that he loves and serves. So this whole four weeks, we're going to do this where we just we contrast the superfans of our world with the ones that we see in the Bible. And how can our lives begin to mimic and be a superfan of God in the same way? Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 15 or your app. And as you're doing that, I'll tell you, on this card, this is really, it's for you, but you can also give it away and tell people. Next week, we're doing a photo booth outside where you can come early, take a picture with your family. We're going to do super uh, fan props and things that you can have fun with. So come a little early to take a picture and invite people to that. And then in two weeks, we're doing baptisms. And the reason is I see kind of baptism is going all in for your team. Uh, You have that moment where you're making this public confession before men and women and saying, I'm all in. I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I want to be buried and rise again like he was and made new. I want to be made new as well in who God is in my life. That's kind of how I see baptism. If you haven't been baptized, uh, we need you to sign up as soon as possible after the service in the courtyard today. And if you have been baptized, make sure you stick around a little bit longer on the 17th. After both services, we're going to do some baptisms. So you should be at Acts 15 now. Verse 1. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. That's a little eye-opener, right? Right? all right, you're saved, let's get, let's get circumcised now. Uh, yeah, it's, never mind. This brought Paul and Barnabas into a very sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some of the believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The question being, okay, we have all these new believers. They're coming to know God for the first time, but they're Gentiles. They're not Jews. They haven't been circumcised. According to the law of Moses, they should be, but that's not how we live anymore. We have Jesus Christ. So they're debating this question. It goes on. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. People are coming to know God. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers, who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised to keep the law of Moses. So, what's going on here? This seems like a a kind of an awkward public debate about circumcision, right? It just seems like this is the the first issue you want to talk about because there's 613 laws of Moses. There's 613 things you're supposed to do if you're a good Jew to follow God. And now everything's sort of switched where the gentiles are being reached, well, shouldn't they immediately be also following the 613 laws of Moses, and in this case, specifically this one where it's about circumcised, should shouldn't they immediately do that? And that's the debate. And you have to sort of feel for them. I think many of us would actually be in a very similar place. My whole life, I've been a good Jew. I have followed all these laws of Moses to the best of my ability, and all of a sudden you're changing the rules. Now it's grace and mercy and accept Jesus Christ, and that's all you need going forward, and that's the struggle, this perplexing struggle that they're dealing with. So Paul is saying, you know, Jesus Christ died. He is our Savior now. It's not about sacrificing animals. It's not about these things that you do to show you love him. He died once and for all for those sins. So why are we now going to turn on all these people who are loving this new team, they're loving this this Jesus, and all of a sudden we're gonna throw all of these things on them? Why would we do that? So here it goes, verse six. The apostles and the elders, they met to consider this question. They, they're actually discussing it. And after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. Now here in verse 10, is the crux of the whole chapter. So catch this. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have really been able to bear? No, no. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. So Peter, like Paul, is a super fan and he wants people to love this Jesus. He wants people to love his team. And he's basically saying, we don't need them to know the entire history of our team, the all the amazing stats of our team, and all the things throughout history that have happened with our team, the ins and outs of players with our team. We just need them to love our team. We want to share about our team so that they understand how awesome this team is, and it is awesome. Jesus Christ did these amazing things. Let's start there. Let's let them just fall in love with our team through Jesus. He refers a little bit to Acts chapter 10, in which he had this dream, and God gave him this vision of clean versus unclean animals. And that's what he's referring to when he says, I was told to go to the Gentiles, that this is now opened to the Gentiles, and it's not about the clean, unclean sacrifices and stuff anymore. It's about sharing Jesus Christ." So why would we now, after that vision, after this, these so many people joining our team, and, and why would we give them this yoke that we have struggled with for so many years, we're not even good at following it, and we now want to put that onto people coming to know Christ? And to their credit, they ponder this. In verse 12, it says, the whole assembly became silent as they listen to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and the wonders that God had done among the Gentiles through them. They discuss it more and more. You can read the rest of the chapter, and they finally come up with this in verse 23. Okay, here's our letter to the Gentiles, the believers in Antioch, Syria. Greetings. We have heard that some of you went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, And from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. It's kind of interesting because they, all right, 613 laws is too much, but there should be some. There should be a couple. So they throw a couple in at the end, which I find kind of funny, but I also get it. It's like saying, all right, you can be a super fan of my team. But when you're watching the game or you're in the stadium, don't wear the opposing team's colors. That's like, that's the unwritten rule that's too far. You can't wear the other team's jersey. That would just not quite fit. That's kind of how I see this moment going, all right, yeah, 613 loss seems a little bit like overkill, but um, maybe you don't eat the food that's sacrificed to opposing idols or the blood or sexual immorality. Those are there's some things that are just going to really throw you down the wrong path. That's kind of what I see here. And I really do understand the fight. Because I think many of us have a similar fight that happens where we struggle with, okay, they're saying if they're not circumcised, What's next? Murder? Are they okay with murder and stealing and, and this and that? And I hear the same argument sometimes when it comes to our grace. Wait, you can accept Christ, be freed of mercy. Like, you can be freed of all sin. Like you're just, you can do whatever you want. So basically I can murder and kill. I can be in prison and then on my deathbed right there, accept Christ and it's all good. And we're like, well, maybe, but you're kind of missing the point. And I think this is where many of us miss the point. And it's not a new missing of the point. Paul has to write many letters after this throughout the Bible, where he speaks of you're missing the point of what the law is for. In 1 Timothy 1.9, it's just one example of a ton of spots. But he says this, Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and the insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers and fathers, and murderers of mothers, for manslayers. What he's basically reinforcing over and over, he's saying, yeah, laws are important. The Ten Commandments are real, but here's here's what you need to make sure you understand. The law is to show you your need for a Savior. They're, They're not 613 laws, so that if you do them and you are good and you finally are like, all right, I was a pretty good person, I made it, I get to go to heaven, I, I I actually saved myself. He's saying, no, that's not what this is about. That's not why we do this. No, the laws are to show you how far away we are, and how badly we need someone like Jesus Christ. To make that ultimate sacrifice and then when we accept him as lord and savior of our life we are freed from all the guilt and the law that doesn't mean i now get to go out and murder all the people you know it just doesn't make it that's not how it works uh, we are only being shown how far away we are and the good that we do is because of love for our team we're super fans of our team and so we choose good we know right from wrong we understand good and bad we just don't think it saves us anymore we can go from a point where good and bad doesn't say whether or not i'm going to be in heaven no jesus christ did that good and bad is now my love for my team and a desire to show my team well a desire for more people to want to be a part of my team there's a story I love. I read it recently about this guy who adopts a new daughter, and he speaks about this relationship with his new daughter. The adopted child had been with a family previously, and the family previously did a few weird things, like they would go, this is a true story, they would go to Disney, Disney World, and they would leave the adopted child behind and take their biological children with them. I can't imagine why it didn't work out with this family and this adopted child yeah it's just a really bad scenario and so she's put back in the system and they adopt her and he hears about how she knew all about disney world she knew the characters the rides she was excited about it but she never had actually been and it was actually kind of a a hurtful thing in her life and so they decide to go to disney world and he writes this i would never have dreamed would produce, this Disney World trip would produce a stream of downright devilish behavior in our newest daughter. In the month leading up to our trip to Magic Kingdom, she stole food when she could have just requested it. She lied when it had been easier just to tell the truth. She would whisper insults that were carefully crafted to hurt her older sister as deeply as possible. And as the days got closer and closer to this trip to Disney World, she only got worse so bad that he had to pull her aside and begin to talk to her about this behavior. And the daughter said this, I know what you're going to do, she stated flatly. You're not going to take me to Disney World, are you? And he, he, he writes, the thought did cross my mind to use this moment as, yes, there's a good and bad. And anyway, he said, by God's grace, I didn't. And Sid, I asked her, is this trip something we're doing as a family? To which she nodded, brown eyes wide, tears in her eyes. Are you part of this family? She nodded. Then you're going with us. And so he says from this point on, it didn't get better. It got worse and worse, and they finally got into Disney World. And he writes, that night in our hotel room that evening, a very different child emerged. She was exhausted, pensive, a little weepy at times, but her month-long facade of rebellion had faded. When bedtime rolled around, I prayed with her, and I held her and asked, so how was your first day at Disney World? And she closed her eyes, snuggled down into her stuffed unicorn. And after a few moments, she opened her eyes ever so slightly and said, Daddy, I finally got to go to Disney World. But it wasn't because I was good. It was because I'm yours. Yeah, it's a little emotional. I have a young daughter, and I immediately thought about her. But this is the message that I also feel from my God, this outrageous grace that I've been adopted into. And I'm not good enough. I never will be. And we probably have tested him, haven't we? And he still loves me. And lets me in. And every time I think about it, I think that's the team I want to tell people about. Not all the laws and the things you must do because you're now a Christian. That's up to God. God is going to convict, God is going to point out things that are hurting your your walk with Him. He's going to do that part. We just need to be super fans telling people about this incredible team that we're involved in, this incredible gift that God has given us. I only give you one point in your notes, and it's this. A super fan knows their team and everything they stand for and everything they're about. What we are about is we are saved by grace through faith and unto good works. We're not good enough to get there. We're saved unto good works. A great illustration would be, a Raiders fan versus a 49ers fan. We just know the difference of those two fans, right? Which one do you want to be? I'm, as a Raiders fans in here, I'm so sorry. I, I'm, a, I'm kind of a 49ers fan, so I had to throw the joke in. But anyway, sorry. You can take that down now. A super fan knows their team and everything they stand for and everything they're about. Let's be super fans. Amen? So as we go out of this last series into this one, knowing about your team is all the habits. And then telling people about it is when you become a super fan, as you begin to share about everything that your team is all about and how awesome it is in this gift of Jesus Christ. So if you're here today and you haven't joined that team, I just want to give you an opportunity as we move forward to do that. With every head bowed, every eye closed, uh, it's a good team. I love it. I have been changed by it. And I'm not good enough for it. I am really glad it's not based on how good I am. I'm told all the time what a terrible person I am. But then I can turn to my God and say, God loves me, has accepted me. And I'm a super fan of this God. If you're in this room, and you also want to turn to this Savior, I'm not going to pull you up front. I'm not going to embarrass you, but the Bible does speak about a public confession of your faith. Taking a moment to confess before man, and he will confess about you to his Father in heaven. So if you're in here, and that's you, and you want to make that commitment, will you just raise your hand and say, that's me. I need this God in my life. I want this Savior. I want this gift, and I want to be a super fan of him. Will you just lift your hand? Amen. Amen. Anyone else? Amen. Amen. God, we are, I don't think we'll ever know just how incredible that gift was, but we are going to spend our life learning and sharing about this team we're on, not to win our way into heaven. God, you already did that just because we love you and we love this team. So God, help us to do it. Thank you for those that have committed. Thank you for this scripture. Thank you that they had the debate. Debates aren't fun, and I don't think it was fun for them. But they did it. They went through it so that more people could know this team. Thank you that they came out of that situation with this conclusion. And we thank you for the scripture in this book and this church and this family. In Jesus' name, amen.